So John chapter 9, we've been walking through this series called Conflict Revolution, not Conflict Resolution, but rather Conflict Revolution, talking about how Jesus, as he walked through his ministry, the three years of ministry leading up to the time that he laid his life down for each and every one of us, that there were always moments of conflict that he experienced. Going back to the earliest of days in his ministry, he would come up against people who were against him, who tried to stop him, who tried to kill him, tried to attack him. And yet, in all of that, he used those moments of conflict not only to teach them, but to teach us. And so, we've walked through for the last few weeks different elements, different stories from the cleansing of the temple all the way through last week, uh, as Derek talked about uh, that woman caught in adultery. Today in John chapter 9, we're going to talk about a man that Jesus happened to see as he walked along the street one day. Now, let me just kind of set the stage a little bit, tell a story of what took place, and then we're going to kind of jump into and, and look at a couple of different conflicts. In fact, this story today is one in which there are four or five different conflicts in the same setting, the same story. And so the passage starts in John chapter 9 as Jesus and his disciples, they were walking through Jerusalem one day, walking through the city, and Jesus happened to see that there was a man there who was begging, a man who was blind from birth, he never had the opportunity of seeing anything, and he is sitting there by the wayside. And the disciples stopped him in that moment and said, Jesus, let me ask you a question. This, this guy over here, so he's blind, he's been blind from birth. So his blindness, did that come because of his sin or did it become, come because of his parents' sin because he'd been blind from birth? Now, what that tells us right up front, obviously, is that the disciples didn't have a, a really kind of an understanding of grace and mercy, and, and they really didn't have a picture of the power of the man that they were walking with, because to be honest with you, if the disciples had asked the right question, it would be, hey, Jesus, why don't you heal him? But that's not what they wanted to talk about. They wanted to talk about the Old Testament. They wanted to talk about the law, the tradition was that any type of illness or sickness or uh, disability that was found in someone had to be a result of this actions, our sin, it had to be a result of, of something that that person had done or in his family, that sin that was present there. And so they asked that question and so Jesus said, well, neither one of them. The fact that he's blind is just simply so that we can bring honor and glory to God through the power of his son, Jesus Christ. And, and so that's why he is. And of course, the story goes on that he walks over to the man and he heals the man. And he, you know, gives for the first time, he heals that man, that man has sight. But he doesn't heal him in a way where he speaks the word and all of a sudden the man sees. He actually tells the man, I want you to go and go down to the pool of Siloam. He went down and, and he spit into the dirt and, and he made like a little clay of mud out of the dirt and then he wiped it on the man's eyes and he said, now go down to the pool of Siloam and, and rinse there, wash there, and you will be healed. And so the man goes off and he does exactly what Jesus told him to do and instantly, miraculously, life-changing for this man, he can now see. He has eyesight for the first time in his life. And after that, his friends see that he's now healed, and they're like confused, like, is this the same guy? The guy that we know has been blind since birth, that's begging in the streets? Like, is this the same guy? And the guy says, like, yeah, it's, it's me. I, I'm him. And then they take him to the Pharisees, and they say, well, listen, we think this is the guy who was blind, but we're not sure. The Pharisees, they begin to question him, and then the Pharisees are confused, and they're concerned because, again, 
they don't understand this whole idea of this miraculous healing that took place. So they bring the parents in and they ask the same questions of them. And the man all along is sitting over in the corner like, dude, I can see. I was blind, but now I see. And he's trying to like prove the point. Same guy, miraculous change, but yet even the man didn't know who had done uh, this miracle, who had performed this miracle in his life. And so the story goes on all the way through to the end when finally Jesus reveals who himself to the man and the man, you know, believes. And so powerful story. But all along the way, you can see in this narrative that I just shared with you, like there was conflict and there was disagreement and there was even some anger. This man who had been healed had actually been thrown out of the synagogue because he'd been healed. Think about that for a moment. Think of it in the context of where we are today. The man was thrown out of his own church because he was healed by God. Now you think about the stories that Lewis shared with us just a few moments ago up in the baptistry. Three guys who had been healed, three guys who had been, you know, miraculously delivered from their past through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so in the context of this conversation, it's as if this church, all of us, that when those men went into the baptistry, we decided we want to kick them out of the church because something miraculous had happened in their lives. Sounds a little bit preposterous, doesn't it? Sounds nuts. But yet we do it all the time. So let's go into the passage here. Let's walk through to see the conflicts, and let's see where the revolution comes in. Now, I want to start with one verse in in verses 6 and 7, two verses, uh, John 9, 6 and 7. And it says this, after he said these things, he spit on the ground, he made some mud from the saliva, he spread the mud on the eyes, and then Jesus said, go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he left, washed, and came back seen. Now, I want you to underline or highlight or whatever it is in your Bible, that last part of that verse, verse 7. So he left, he washed, and he came back seen. Now, Jesus told him to go down to the pool of Siloam. And you can, in fact, even today, you can go uh, in Jerusalem. I did it back uh, in November or in September, I guess it was, with Sherry and, and my son Nicholas and his wife Abby. We actually walked through Hezekiah's tunnel. If you go back to Isaiah chapter 22 or, or 2 Kings chapter 20, I think it is. Maybe it's, yeah, 2 Kings chapter 20. It talks about the tunnel that Hezekiah built to, uh, to make, protect the water for Jerusalem when they were under siege by the Assyrians in the 8th century B.C., You can actually walk that tunnel right now. In fact, we're going to Israel next year. I'd love to have you go along. Walk that tunnel, and you can actually go, and it ends up, it dumps into the pool of Siloam. And that's where Jesus said, I want you to go down, and I want you to wash there. Now, Jesus healed him in some other place. And so this man had to walk down blind, still blind, with mud in his eyes, mud that someone had spit in, which, by the way, (laughs) I mean, if, if somebody spits in the ground and wipes that in my eye, I'm probably not going to do what the guy tells me to do. I'm probably going to beat him up, right? I mean, that that just doesn't sound like a normal thing to do. But the man travels down, gets to the pool. He went and he washed and he came out seen. Now, that's the context of the miracle. That's the picture of what Jesus did in that moment. But let's look at the conflict that flowed from what should have been a moment of celebration for everyone. And so the first thing we see is this conflict with sin. Verse 2, the disciples, they asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? 
Even the disciples, the ones that Jesus had called, the ones that that Jesus had been walking with and and that they had heard him talk and and they'd seen and heard all of the great things that Jesus had done up to this point. Like even they were fixated on, focused on the sin that was there. They were still thinking from the context of the law. They're thinking from the context of the Old Testament that mercy and grace and healing and what Jesus and only Jesus could do, like they weren't thinking of like the power of the man that was with them. They were thinking of the situation that, that this other man had experienced because of his sin. So the presumption here is always that it was fixed on the problem rather than on the power of God. Now think about it in the context of your life. How often do we walk through life and we get fixated on the problem rather than on the miraculous healing power of God and what He can do? And it might be a financial challenge, it might be a health situation, it might be a relationship problem, and we get so fixated on the problem. We get so focused on the hurt, we get so kind of surrounded by and overwhelmed by the disruption of what we want our lives to look like that we lose sight of the power of God that the Bible says with Him all things are possible. Nothing is too difficult for Him. And that's exactly what was going on here. That the disciples did not see this man who had been blind from birth, sitting by the wayside, sitting by the road that day, they did not see this man as an opportunity to show the power of God. They saw it as an opportunity to talk about the sin that this person must have. That this person must be so lost and so desperate and, and, and fallen into so much sickness and disease because of his sin that like this person is someone that we want to stay away from. The, the presumption here, the picture that's given here is that like they wouldn't even walk over to him because they're thinking like something's wrong with him. Have you ever wondered that when you're riding down the street and you see someone that's on the side of the street who maybe doesn't look the way that you look or doesn't act the way that you act or, Maybe they're difficult situations, or maybe they're doing things that makes you lock the door when you're driving by. Have you ever sat back and wondered, hmm, this is an opportunity for God to do a miracle? Or have you sat back and thought, I want to get out of here because this guy, something's wrong with him. You see the picture here? Like, Like a lot of us kind of fall into that second part of the equation, that we don't see the power of God. If the power of God can heal anyone, then that means the power of God can heal the person that you want to stay away from. And that God might have brought you into that moment like He did the disciples that day, that Jesus walked them, listen, Jesus didn't do anything by accident. You understand that, right? Jesus doesn't walk up to a, you know, a a, a fork in the road and like, hmm, I wonder which way we should go. Hmm, let's go this way. And oh, oh, by the way, there has to be, happens to be someone that He can heal right down the road. He knows. And so He leads His disciples down that road that day. And he brings them up as an opportunity to see the power of God in action, and yet they missed it. And so you can see the conflict that was coming even in his own disciples, but it didn't stop there. Because after Jesus healed the man, then we see the next conflict, which is the conflict with friends. The conflict with people who knew this man, who had grown up with this man, who had been around this man their entire lives. Look what it says in verses 8 through 11. His neighbors, uh, his neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar said, isn't this the one who used to be begging, to sit begging? And some said, he's the one. Others were saying, no, but he sure does look like him. But he kept saying, I'm the one. 
And so they asked him, then how were your eyes open? And he answered, the man called Jesus, he made mud, he spread it on my eyes and told me, go to Siloam and wash. So when I went and I washed, I received my sight. Now go back to verse 8. His neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar said, isn't this the one who used to sit begging? In other words, they knew it was him, but they were not willing to believe in the miracle. They knew that it was him. It says, the ones who had seen him and known him as the beggar, they knew exactly who he was. And the only thing that could come was not celebration, not rejoicing, because the man who had been blind from birth now had received his sight. They're saying like, hmm, I think it's him, but man, I'm just not sure. It kind of looks like him, and you know, I, I don't really know if it, it can't be him, because that's not going to, like, God can't do that. Man, we live in a culture today where so many people make that declaration every single day, not in words, but in action. Like, certainly God can't fix my problem. Certainly God can't do the miraculous here. Like, man, the, the problem's too big. I've got to figure it out on my own. And so they're sitting there saying, like, like I don't think it's him. I, I really don't think, I think it looks like him, but it's not him. And I can just see the guy standing there, like in the midst of all of his friends, whom, by the way, he had never seen before. But you know, blind people have a heightened sense of, of awareness. They have heightened senses. And so, you know, he's listening to them. He recognizes every single voice. And I can just see him standing over like, dude, it's me. Like, I'm the one you grew up with. Yeah, I'm the one that you made fun of in kindergarten. I'm the one that you used to throw the ball at knowing that I couldn't catch it and hit me right in the face. Like, that was me. I'm that guy. And he's saying it over and over again. And so you can see the conflict that's going on. He's like, dude, it really is me. They're like, I don't know about that. Man, it sure does look like him. Man, it looks just like him. Oh, and he's wearing the exact same clothes that he was wearing this morning when I saw him before he was healed. Yeah, and he's sitting in the exact same place. Yeah, yeah, I helped him get here today, but man, it's got to be somebody else because God can't do that. And so they finally say, if it's really you, then how did you get to here? How did you get to this place? And he said, listen, this man named Jesus, he came up and he put mud in my eyes, and he told me to go wash in the pool of Siloam, and I did that. And when I did, I went and I washed, and I came out seen. Now, I want you to understand something. To this point, this man knew the name of Jesus, but he had never seen the face of Jesus. He had no idea what Jesus looked like. He'd only encountered him one time. He didn't know who he was. He said, this man named Jesus in fact, if you keep reading a little bit further in this passage, when they asked him again, like, who, he said, well, he must be a prophet because he did something. Listen, I was blind and now I see and that's all I know. Like, like, he must be somebody special. He didn't at this point even believe or know that it was Jesus, the Son of God. And so this conflict with his friends is going on. It's like, like they're arguing back and forth, like, it's really me, seriously. And so rather than celebrating the gift that this man had received in healing, they're sitting there arguing with him that it couldn't have been true. And I think, man, that's just such a picture of what we do so often. So often in our own lives, we, we kind of argue with ourselves, and we might even argue with others, saying, like, yeah, God can't do this. And certainly, like, this didn't come from some miraculous thing. Like, have you ever heard the story of someone, I've got to be honest with you, I've done it myself. I've got to be honest with you, like, full disclosure here, where someone who was battling, like, a really difficult sickness, someone who was really, really sick, or, you know, maybe the doctors had said there's really no hope, 
and yet something miraculous happened in the life of that individual, and, 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 and they're healed, and you're sitting back and like, ah, I don't know about that. You know, maybe the doctors weren't quite right. You know, because, man, miracles, they can't, you know, that doesn't really happen. I mean, like, come on, seriously. Like, I know we prayed for him. I know we prayed for healing, but come on. I mean, really, it must have been some medicine. You know, the doctors must have found some new little thing, right? I mean, like, seriously. And so we question, that's what's going on here. And that's conflict. It's conflict because we don't truly trust the power of a miraculous God. But I'm going to tell you something. That person who was healed, they believe it. This man who was sitting by the wayside, who had never seen anything, who was blind since birth, and now for the first time in his life he's seen colors and he's seen images and he's seen trees, he's seen people. Like he's sitting over saying like, guys, this is amazing. I can't, you, you haven't, I can't believe you haven't told me how awesome this is, because now I can see. And yet, rather than celebrating with a guy, they're arguing with him, to the point of saying, that yeah, this is a lookalike. This is a doppelganger. It's not really him. This is somebody else. Conflict with even his friends. And then the conflict got so great that they ushered him into the next conflict, which was the conflict with the religious leaders, the Pharisees. Look what it says in Uh, verses 13 and following. In verse 13, it says this, so they, the neighbors, his friends, like the people that were supposed to be his friends, they brought the man who used to be blind to the Pharisees. And the day that Jesus made the mud uh, and opened opened his eyes was a Sabbath. So you see, that was put in there very clearly. John wrote that in there so we can understand, like this is another opportunity, another moment of conflict that is going to arise because the Pharisees were fixated on when Jesus healed, not that Jesus simply healed. Verse 15, then the Pharisees asked him again how he received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, he told me, I washed, and I can see. So once again here we see the picture, and we see it all through the Gospels, the legalism of the Pharisees. They were fixated on the fact that Jesus healed on the Sabbath. And in fact, if you go back to John chapter 5, that started the picture like, like, hey, man, we need to kill this man. In John chapter 5, verses what, 17, 18, 19, somewhere in there, it's where we read after Jesus healed the man who was lame at the pool of Bethesda, the, the higher pool, because the pool of Bethesda in Jerusalem is up higher on the mountain, the pool of Siloam is down lower, that when they saw what happened here, that they wanted to kill this man, Jesus. Why? Because they couldn't celebrate the power of God, they had to celebrate the letter of the law. Because the law was more important than the presence of God. Legalism. Legalism is still alive and well in our culture today. It's alive and well in churches all across the world today, where people are so fixated on the way things have always been that you can't make room for, you can't allow the move of the power and the presence of God in the place that makes you feel uncomfortable, that takes you outside of what is natural and normal. I mean, I sit here and I look at a room of thousands of people, and I got to be honest with you. So, like, how many of you in this room are, like, uh, 60 years old and up? Just raise your hand. All right. So, I want, I want to ask you a question for all the people who are, like, younger than that, right? So, in fact, I'll, Mark, I'll look over here, because you're, you're definitely 60 and up. Right, and we know that, right? I'm not going to say how old you are, but yeah, you're, you're higher than 60. So can you remember a time in churches where when, uh, every Sunday when people came in, everyone was wearing suits and ties, and ladies were wearing nice dresses, and you came in wearing your, what, 
your Sunday, your Sunday best. Like that was just like everybody came in dressed the same way, right? I mean, your suit and tie. I remember that. And I'm not as old as you. Um, I don't mean that. The thing stands for itself. I'm just saying. But so, but I remember, I'm 56. And so I remember like, like when you go to church, even as a kid, when I was a little kid, that my mom would put me in a, in a suit with a little tie, a bow tie, and I had these cute little pants that were, that were um, shorts. And it was, it was a suit jacket and a, and a tie and little cute little, I don't know what you call those suits, but like they, they were shorts and the socks that came all the way up and the black patent leather shoes. Dude, I was styling. And I would come to church every Sunday dressed up like that because that's what you did. Now we're in a day when people don't dress like that, right? And some do, and that's great, and that's fine, but other people don't. But I remember kind of when the shift began. Mark, do you remember when the shift began, when people started to change? Like, I noticed you're not wearing a tie. You're a heathen. <laughs> but I remember when that shift began, when, when people started coming to church, and they weren't wearing their, you know, Sunday best. They weren't wearing their, you know, their, their suits and the ties and the patent leather shoes, and the ladies weren't wearing their finest dresses and, and all of that kind of thing. And there was conflict. I mean, there were people who were bothered by that. It was like, I can't believe they would walk in here looking like that. And, and I remember, I, the honest truth, I remember even in my days in, in ministry as, as a pastor here after my dad passed away in 2007, that about 2008 or so, there was a guy that I had been witnessing to at a local restaurant where I happened to go by and get Diet Cokes all the time. Shocker. And, and had been witnessing to him, and, and he finally, he once week, he told me, I'm going to come to church Sunday. And I remember I was all excited, man. And he came to church. Now, this guy, he had tattoos like everywhere. He had earrings. He, I mean, he had metal all over his ears. He had a nose. Around, and literally, it looked like, you know, he was like and a face mask. I mean, I mean, it was like, like stuff everywhere. And I remember he came to church that Sunday, and I remember this really cool. I remember he was sitting like right back over here in the middle aisle, and that Sunday he came forward and he got saved that Sunday. And man, it was exciting. It was so cool. But I know there were people who were looking at him like, like this, something's wrong here. In fact, there were some guys that, that here at the church who kind of serve in, in security, like to kind of help just keep things like, you know, making sure that they were a little uneasy by what was taking place because this guy didn't look like what should be walking the aisle. Now, I got to be honest with you. I love it when someone who doesn't look like they should be walking the aisle walks the aisle because that is the representation of the power and the presence of God, of what God can do in the life of anyone. I remember when I baptized him, I was afraid all that stuff was going to rust. <laughs> going down the wall. But, but it was just like amazing. It was just like awesome. But again, so often we get caught up on the form of ministry rather than the presence of God in ministry. And that's exactly what was said. The Pharisees were caught up on the fact that it was a Sabbath. The guy had been blind since birth, and now he can see. The guy had never seen anything, and now all of a sudden he had been miraculously healed. I mean, this is an, an amazing story, and the Pharisees couldn't care less that healing had come. They were angered because it had happened on a day that was supposed to be holy. 
You see, they were more focused on keeping the day holy than they were worshiping the one who is holy. And the conflict that took place, I mean, it's something that was like radical. It was unbelievable. This, this Pharisee, and then they continue. And in fact, to the point, if you keep reading, they ended up throwing him out of the church. They threw him out because how dare you celebrate being able to see? It's the Sabbath. They were saying, this man who healed you, this Jesus guy you're talking about, he can't be of God. I mean, he, he, sir, he's a sinner just like all of you. There's no way he could have done this. He's the only God. Give God the glory. Don't give Jesus the glory. You see, they were denying the power and the presence of Jesus in that moment because it didn't fit the narrative of what they expected the church was supposed to look like. And so the conflict continues. The man, uh, the, the Pharisees ridiculed this man until they threw him out of, of the church. But then we keep focusing hard. The conflict didn't even stop there because the conflict from the friends that then led to the conflict with the religious leaders now led to conflict with family. The Pharisees were still trying to figure this out. So verse 18, and so the Jews did not believe this about him. In other words, the Jews did not believe that he had been blind since birth and then healed in this way on this day. So that then it says, and then they summoned the parents of the one who had received his sight. They called in mom and dad and they asked the parents, is this your son, the one that you say was born blind? How then does he now see? Now remember, This is a group of people, the Pharisees, who had already declared they're going to throw people out if you have any, you know, inclination whatsoever to believe in this guy named Jesus. Like, conflicts were everywhere. Like, they all gone all the way back to when Jesus started healing and started teaching and started doing all the things that he was doing. Like, the conflict was there. And they said, how can it be that this man who was born blind can now see? Listen to what the parents said. By the way, if I had a child who had a sickness since birth— and then miraculously in this moment had been healed, I'm, I'm jumping for joy, aren't you? Like, I'm, I'm like, like loving life. I'm excited. I can't believe this is awesome. This is amazing what God has done here. Look what the parents said, verse 20. We know this is our son, and we know he was born blind. But we don't know how he now sees, and we don't know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. Think about that for a moment. The parents of the one that had been born blind, whose hearts were broken when that baby was born and was old enough, and they recognized that he couldn't see anything. When they recognized that he would never see a sunrise or a sunset, that he would never see the mountains that were there and the flowers that grew, that he would never be able to look into his mommy's face and say, mama or dada. That couple, that family, those parents were not willing to step up in front of the Pharisees and say, listen, this man is healed and he's our son and we're so happy. Ask him yourself. We don't know. Like he's old enough, just ask him yourself. And why? Because they were in fear. They were in fear of being ostracized. They were in fear of being thrown out. They were in fear of people criticizing them and making fun of them. They were in fear of not fitting in anymore. And so they weren't even willing to stand up for their own son who had just experienced a miraculous healing. So can you see like all the conflicts that are flying around here? Like all of these issues and all these problems that seem to like literally like just just completely throw everything that should have been a moment of celebration out the window. They were more worried about what people might think of them than they were 
their son's newfound sight. And so with this conflict, the conflict with sin and the conflict with friends and the conflict with leaders and then the conflict with, with their own, his own family, it all led to a picture of what God does in conflict. And so now we see the revolution that comes in Christ. Look what it says in verses 35. So Jesus heard that they had thrown the man out. He'd heard that he had been attacked. They heard that he had been criticized. They heard he'd been thrown out of the church. And so Jesus went, and look what it says here. It says, when Jesus heard that they had thrown the man out, and, and when he had found him. That's a, a little couple of words there that honestly you wouldn't really pay attention to in reading this story. But man, you ought to circle that like 12 times. I'm just kidding, but at least once in your Bible. Highlight it, underline it, something. Because it is, isn't it interesting that Jesus, who had like a lot of work to do, Jesus, can we all agree that he was a pretty important guy? Like he had a lot going on? Like he had come here for a specific purpose. Like this was a big deal, Jesus. Like he, he had plenty to do. And so after Jesus had healed him, obviously he had continued along the way. He continued going to whatever was next, whatever he knew that he was going to do next in order to point back to the power of the gospel that was to come. Jesus stopped and he went to look for this man. It doesn't say the man went to find Jesus because that man didn't know what Jesus looked like. He had no idea what Jesus looked like. Jesus could have been tall, could have been short, could have been skinny, could have been fat, could have been muscular, could have not. He had no idea what Jesus looked like. Jesus went and looked for him. And that's why you ought to circle that and highlight that. Here's the deal, because Jesus still does that. Jesus still comes, he still comes and looks for you wherever you are. And I know that's true because Jesus himself said he came to seek and to save that which is lost. He came to look for us. And so it says, when he found him, he asked the man, do you believe in the Son of Man? Well, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? In other words, I want to because this man, Jesus, he healed me. I want to believe in him. Who is he, the man said. And then Jesus asked, answered the question, you've seen him. And in fact, he's the one speaking with you. And then the man said, I believe, Lord, and he worshiped him. You see, regardless of the opposition and the disbelief that was present everywhere, regardless of the fact that no one, notice, no one was celebrating what took place in this man's life. This man, in spite of all of that, he didn't get discouraged. He didn't walk out back on his faith and go sit back under a tree and just think, well, man, I can see, but man, life's no good. No, 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 no. What this man did is he wanted to believe. And when he was confronted with Jesus, I believe, and he worshiped. In fact, if you study the Gospels, this is one of the only places in the Gospel, all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where it says that people actually worshiped Jesus. He worshiped him. He didn't care what people thought. He didn't care what was going to happen to him. He'd already been thrown out. He didn't care. He didn't care about trying to work his way back in to get back into the in crowd and, and allow himself to, you know, be accepted again. No, no, no. All he did is he believed and he worshiped. Why? It goes all the way back to what I said at the beginning. Because Jesus told him to go and to wash, and he came out seeing. When the Pharisees questioned him, man, he said, I don't know what happened. 
I don't know how it works. I don't know how I've been blind since I was a kid and now I can miraculously see. I don't know. All I know is this. I once was blind, but now I see. A statement that every one of us in this room, if you've come to that place where you believe that Jesus is God's son, that he died and that he rose again, and you have accepted him as your Lord and Savior, that every one of you ought to rejoice and celebrate in every single day because every one of us once were blind. But now we see. Don't know how it works. I don't care. I once was blind, but now I see. Man, I used to live in sin. I mean, I, my life was a mess. I was once was blind, but now I see. Yeah, but did you have to learn the whole Bible? No, 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 I didn't. All I know is this. I once was blind, and now I see. Because it does not depend on tradition, and it does not depend on knowledge, and it does not depend on your religiosity. It depends on one thing and one thing alone, the power and the presence of Jesus. I once was blind, but now I see. Let me give you a couple of quick points of application that we just need to remember. Now, these, these are no-brainer things. I'm just telling you, no-brainer. Like, I'm going to say them, and you're like, well, duh. But I'm going to be honest with you. I think probably more people than not in this room need to be reminded of the duh than we do of great theological truths. So here's the points of application. Number one, even today, people will refuse to believe the miraculous grace and the mercy found in Christ. Celebrate it anyway. Celebrate it anyway. Doesn't make sense, who cares? Celebrate it anyway. Can't figure out how? Celebrate it anyway. You think the person didn't deserve it? Celebrate it anyway, no matter what. Second thing, do not allow the fear of man to interfere with your faith in God. Do not allow the fear of man to interfere with your faith in God. Yep, that's a duh moment, a duh statement. And I can guarantee you there's not a person in this room that at some point in your journey has not struggled right there. Do not allow your fear of man to interfere with your faith in God. And lastly, continue to worship Him even when it is clear that you may worship alone. When everyone else around you is running, stand before God and praise and celebrate Him. Praise Him, worship Him, celebrate Him. Don't care about what others think. Don't care about where they might go. Don't care if you're the last man or woman standing. So what? He is worthy of our praise. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for truths that we need to be reminded of even though they're simple truths. And God, I pray that in this room today, I, I know that there are people who have fallen into lots of different categories of people that we've talked about today. And I recognize that in this room, like all of us have struggled in one area or another that we have looked at in these different groups of conflict that was found in John chapter 9. And so God, I pray that if we're still there, God, deliver us. God, if we've come out, protect us. But God, for all of us, Lord, help us to stay in a place where we just celebrate and rejoice in the power and the presence of God. And God, if there's somebody here today who is sitting by the road, who is blind since birth, maybe not literally, but figuratively, because we're all born 
with a sinful nature. We've all sinned and fallen short, the glory of God. So all of us are born just like that man, born blind. That there might be someone in this room today that is blind from birth, watching, blind from birth, listening, blind from birth, and never experiencing the deliverance and the power that comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, I pray right now in this moment they'll make the decision to believe that Jesus is your son, that he died and that he rose again, and that right now they'll be saved. And for that, we give you the praise. With our heads bowed, with our eyes closed, our team is going to be here at the front. We're going to pray in a moment, and after we pray, our service is going to conclude. But every single one of our team members is going to be right here at the front. And you see them now, and you can look down if you'd like. You can look and see. They're all across the front here, men and women, young and old. And they would love to talk with you about what you're facing, what you're walking through, the trials that you're experiencing. And if you're here today and you are blind since birth, and what I mean by that, I think, I think you know what I mean, but just in case, let me spell it out, make it really clear. If you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, that means that you're blind in your faith because you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior. This team would love to talk with you about that. And so I encourage you when this service is over in just a moment, make your way down to the front and just grab one of them. Whoever like, looks like somebody that you'd want to talk to. They're all nice, but like some of them might be better than others, you know, in your view, that's fine. Come down and grab one of them and say, listen, tell me about Jesus. Maybe you want to come and kneel here and pray. May I encourage you to do that. Maybe you want to come and join our church family. Awesome. Maybe you want to come and like take the next step in your faith through baptism. Man, that's awesome. Let's do it. Great. Come down and talk with our team. They're here. They want to pray with you. They want to encourage you. They want to help you. If you need a Bible, you don't have a Bible, man, we got Bibles. We'll give them to you free of charge, like whatever it is. Like we want to help you. Why? Because we don't ever want to be the church that is more focused on the form than we are focused on the Savior. And so we're here to do whatever it is that you need us to do to help you in this journey. God, I pray for every person here. If there's somebody here that needs to meet you today, bring them forward right now. There's someone here that needs to get something right with you, God, bring them forward right now. God, if there's someone here that needs to take next steps, God, bring them here right now. And God, for that, we'll give you the praise. We'll give you the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our team is here. Please come on down if you need to. Remember tonight, 6 o'clock, come on back out to talk about the Genesis flood. God bless you and have a great week. Thank you for worshiping with us today. We're so glad you joined us. If you prayed to receive Christ today, we'd love to hear from you. We want to help you as you begin this new journey of faith in Jesus Christ. Send an email to the address on the screen, pastor at trbc.org. Likewise, if you've never accepted God's free gift of salvation, the forgiveness of sins made possible by the death and resurrection of Jesus, but you'd like to know more, we're here to help you. Just reach out to us and we'd love to tell you more. Our mission at Thomas Road is to change our world by developing Christ followers who love God and love people. If you'd like to help us fulfill that mission by giving to our ministry, go to the link on your screen and make your contribution today. Help us help others with the life-changing truth of God's love.